Hey, this is Corey Wong. If you are interested in guitar players, if you're interested in artists and how they think, why they create, what it is that motivates them to create, come check out my podcast, Wong Notes Podcast, where I get to interview some of my absolute heroes, people like John Mayer, Niall Rogers, Jacob Collier, Madison Cunningham, Benson, Vi, Santana, Satriani, Lukather, Matheny. Oh, the names are insane icons of the guitar, icons of artistry and creativity. I absolutely love sitting down with these musicians and getting to ask them about their creative process and get into the details of why they do what they do. Check it out, Wong Notes. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another week of Chasing Frets. My name is Jason Shadrick, and I'm here with my co-host, Andy Ellis. Hello, everyone. And uh, we've had such a great time talking to Kim Herlack this week. She's one of the finest guitar educators I've ever met, and I've been lucky enough to be around quite a few of them. And uh, (laughs) so, But today, as we're going back and forth with topics, she came up with this idea of going through what she calls the parameters of sound. And this goes way beyond what pickups you're using, what guitar you're using, what pedals, what amp, what strings. It goes way beyond that and kind of strips all that away into what the, the, the fundamental elements of tone are. Mm-hmm. And, and we're not talking tube screamers and humbuckers for sure. Really interesting to hear how she parses this into segments, and I'm not going to say any more, but she describes how it, it's going to change how we, each of us, pick up a guitar and start to listen to ourselves play. Yeah, and uh, there's anywhere between, I guess, seven and ten different elements that you always have to think about when you're playing a note. Yeah. And and a- as she was talking about them, I was making a little... I was yeah. jotting down notes so that way yeah. I could I could remember them. So there's a yeah. lot to gleam out of this this episode. So you can dig in now and here's our next conversation with Kim Perlack. The Atlanta Institute of Music and Media's Music and Technology program offers a unique degree, combining the skill sets of music production with focuses in guitar, bass, keys, drums, and vocals. Find out more at AIMM.edu. So welcome back, Kim. It's really a treat to dive deeply into the whole idea of learning how to play guitar in all its different dimensions. And uh, you get to see with so many students and of course in your own life and your own musical development, um, various different, I don't want to say roadblocks, but different um, things that, that musicians all face as we try to improve our sound and improve our musicianship. And you've used a term that I'd like you to elaborate on a little bit. Um, I'm quoting you here. You say, I use in classes, here's a term I use in classes to create parameters of sound that translate to all styles. And so I'm butchering your your, uh, quote here, but could you (laughs) elaborate on that a little bit? Sure, absolutely. I say to the students in my classes all the time, keeping in mind that these are people who really can play their instrument 
well. They really have studied up until the point they come to me. I say to them, more important than what you play is the way you play a note. Mm. The way you play something is more important than what you choose to play. And what I mean by that is that your tone and your ability to demonstrate what you hear and really know the way that your hands make that sound will create a level of contrast and a level of fluidity in your playing that will not be there if you don't do that kind of work. And that's where this idea of the parameters of sound come in. I started working on this when I was an undergrad. <clears throat> My undergrad teacher, Stephen Robinson, classical guitarist, he had a sheet that he handed out to us. We had to put it in a notebook and it said a tone or a note. And then it had 10 things that you had to consider every time you played that note. My colleague that I teach with at Berkeley, who's a professor, David Tronzo, he calls it the seven parameters of sound. So it's the same. Seven is a little easier than 10 and they kind of go together that way. And the ones that really stand out when you think about it, think about this, think about dynamics. For example, everyone knows that you have, have to think about dynamics. When you ask players, okay, describe to me what you do with your fingers or your thumb or your pick to create a louder sound or a softer sound? What do you physically do? Almost everyone gets the answer wrong. Dynamics come from weight on the string, how much you push into the string before you release. Most of the time people will say, well, I hit it harder. But that's attack. That's part of a different parameter. You can have a loud sound and have a very full, slow, round attack, right? That affects the shape of the note. So knowing you know when you play your notes, what it takes, how much weight to have a soft sound, a mezzo forte, and a loud sound. That's important. So there's dynamics. What do you physically do to get the dynamic that you want? Timbre, the same color. How do you get a bright sound? How do you get a dark sound? What do you physically do on the instrument to create that? You know, it basically, in a basic way, you play by the bridge, you get a really bright sound. You start to play over the neck, you get a dark sound. The envelope of the note, what people call attack, sustain, decay, release. Like, what are all the things you can do? Like, how do you attack the note? What's the speed that you attack it? How much of a point does it put on that note because of the speed you chose? What about, what do you do to affect the shape of the note? Hammer-ons, pull-offs, muting techniques, sliding into a note. How do you come off of the note? You know, how does the note go into the next note? Is it going legato? Does it staccato? Do you stop the sound physically? Do you let it die? All of these things really matter. And if you can demonstrate that you have some command of it, then your tone can be... If you just took those three, you could play the same collection mm -hmm. of two or three notes and make them sound completely differently each time and it would really grab our mm -hmm. ear. Mm -hmm. Or if you played them the same, it would be on purpose, right? And then when the other parameters that we use in the class are register and density and velocity and duration, and you think about those things, if you really consider them as you're working on your tone, that starts to shape your playing in a different way because it gives you different options, 
right? Like the options of development of what you're doing. So how would you go about, is there a systematic way you practice those individual elements or is it something you feel like you're just always aware of just by knowing that they exist in the world? You have to practice them yeah. and you have to know they exist in the world. And you have to be aware of how, it, how they're coming across when you do it. Because they're physical realities, right? Like everyone thinks of these things as the expressive parts. And, you know, I've heard people say, oh, you learn what notes you want to play and then you add in the dynamics. But you can't do that because playing loud is a much different physical reality than playing soft. Mm -hmm. You have to do it different. Like you can't, it's not the same yeah. gesture of your hands, right? It feels different. Playing fast is different than playing slow. And so I think you have to be aware of what you have to do physically. Then you have to do it. And I would suggest, I always suggest to people to record themselves and then listen back and see if it's as dramatic as you think. Because a lot of times, like think about, you know, you have something and you're working on dynamics and in your mind, you really believe that you have played loud and then you have done and you've played an echo. You've played something really soft. But then when you listen back, you didn't really play that much different. You know what I mean? Like um, I had one teacher when I was um, in high school and kind of coming through college that I went back to. He wasn't my main teacher, but I went back to him each time. And uh, his idea was you never play at 10. Like nobody ever plays at 10 if you went from one to 10 on a dynamic level. Because like you think you're getting louder, but like your general sounds maybe like five on the scale. So when you think you're forte, <laughs> you're like seven. And then if you tried to play at 10 all the time, like you're, you would, maybe there'd be tension or things would hurt or you wouldn't be able to breathe because when you're not used to something, you become tense. And so he would make me practice at 10. Like practice as loud as you can, but breathe and be relaxed and think of all the other parameters of sound, all the other ways you want the note to sound besides being at 10. Like, do you want it to be around fat note? Do you want it to really punch somebody in the face? Like, do you want it to be bright? Do you want it to be dark? But it has to be loud and then come down the scale of dynamics and see then what happens. Because then you really do have a contrast yeah. between two and 10. But if your 10 is really six and a half, you don't have that much contrast if you're also playing medium, right? And so um, that was uh, a teacher, uh, his name is Phil DeFermery, and he's in um, Western Massachusetts and a classical teacher. And all through my education, because tone production is a huge part of classical guitar playing, I think it came out in different ways, but that... Um, is that also the teacher Gretchen Men mentioned when we talked to her? It is, yeah. Oh. That's right. That's really, it's such yep. a small world when it comes to classical teachers in New England, apparently. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a very small world. And, um, you know, for me, well, Phil DeFermery was Segovia's assistant, oh. right, for many years. Um, and then Oscar Gilias at Aspen. Oscar was, you know, right, right after Segovia, if you look at the lineage. And Phil taught um, Ben Verdery, who is my Yale professor. Um, that's how I met Ben, through Phil. Um, and then my other teachers that I had, um, my main teachers were Steve Robinson and Adam Holtzman, and they came through the Segovia legacy, like through Bruce Holtzman, who was friends with Phil. 
at those Segovia classes years ago. And, and then, you know, when you start to just all the people I did the master classes with as I came up, they're all connected. Los Angeles Guitar Quartet crew was connected to Pepe Romero, who is, you know, there it's all branches of this tree. Um, these are the first generation of American classical guitarists um, post Segovia. Yeah. Um, and they were my teachers. So everyone is connected in that way. It's always fun to hear people say, oh, yeah, I study classical guitar. And of course, they're going to say a name that comes from our family tree. Forgive me, but I've only basically seen you play classical guitar. I've never seen you play or heard you play electric guitar. But how do mm -hmm. these elements of sound and tone production relate when you're plugged into a 50-watt Marshall stack? You know, where, where okay, a smaller so gesture could equate a bigger noise in some ways. Okay, so I'm going to try to say this incredibly respectfully, but one time, <laughs> I think it was really, one time I had heard, I think, someone say that they they didn't feel like they had to practice their dynamics because they could just turn on the amp. And I, I believe I turned to Cheryl at the time. I think it was her very first month or something on the job. And I said, well, yeah, you can do that. And then you're amplifying nothing, <laughs> right? Because you're still playing the guitar, yeah. right? And so what happens is there's this false idea that you can avoid working on your tone and the physical reality of dynamics and envelope and tone color because you can just use the pedals or you can use the amplifiers, and I didn't mean that in any way to be flip or disrespectful. What I mean is it's true. What, an amplifier amplifies what you are doing on the instrument. And so the more that you really understand how to make a tone, then when you use an amplifier, you get this really beautifully amplified representation of what you're doing. And if you don't do that, what ends up happening, like it sounds really cavernous. It sounds empty. And that's what I mean by nothing. I didn't mean it to be like a, um, like a slight to that. I just mean that it has that sound where what's being amplified is not really present. And so it's a lot of noise. So even if you, what you really want is distortion, you want a note you want distortion of a note. You don't just want noise. And if you do, there's a te there's extended techniques that you can use. That would be great. But on purpose, you want to amplify what you're doing. And so in that way, it's all the same, right? The way it feels different is that nylon strings and steel strings and electric strings feel physically different yeah. in your hands. And they have different tensions on them. And so like the amount of weight you might have to use on a steel string guitar is going to be different. Mm-hmm than an Allen string guitar, but you still have to use weight, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it's the same with timbre, where you have to play on the instrument to be bright might be a slightly different place, but you still have to adjust that way. So I think it's, a, you know, everyone. I didn't really start to learn about that until I started playing classical guitar, because in my classical guitar lessons, you know, I don't play with nails I didn't at the time. I did. I I tried to grow them out. I just can't cut it. I just can't cut it with nails, Kim. I just it's just not me. And but it was interesting. Like I would play something, then I'd hand my guitar to my teacher. It's the same guitar, and and he gets such a bigger sound out of it, mm -hmm. you know. And to me, 
with a nylon string guitar and you're passing it back and forth, you're you're taking out all of the electronics and everything, and you're just really focusing on the the essential technique that you need to make this string vibrate while it's attached to wood. And that's when it really connected with me about how important uh, tone production is when it comes outside of what pickups you use and what amp you're using and what pedal you're using. I think so. I mean, I think nails are a tool and you can just choose to use that tool or not um, because you're still making the sound with your finger and the nail is a ramp. And so it affects the tone of the sound. You know, it'll, it'll give your, um, Pepe Romero used to say that your sound is like a turtle. It has a soft center and a hard shell. And the amount of nail that you use is the shell of the turtle. Like how much turtle and how much shell at any given time, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That's how I understood it in the masterclass. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's still a tool. So I have nails. I use ping pong balls. Um, I, I super glue ping pong balls and I, and I make them into the shape I want. I'm still using my finger for the weight. The contact point is still on the finger. The nail is just a ramp. And so I think the nail is kind of like a pedal. It's like, do you want to use that tool or not, right? And you're still making the sound with your finger. And I think the freedom that comes from thinking about it that way is then yeah, your pedals are amazing and your amps are amazing tools and they're going to give you a beautiful sound. And then what if you're on the road and they don't show up? What if, you know, what if uh, someone walked in, they probably wouldn't now in these times, but what if someone showed up and, and the three of us were like, Hey, it's so great to see you. Oh my gosh, we're doing this guitar thing. Come sit down and just play something. And you don't have all your rig, but you know, you have your sound mm-hmm. because you're fundamental lives in your hands and your awareness of what makes that tone. So I think that's what's important. And then I say, bring it on. Anything you want to use to make you sound more like you, then do it. But first and always practice your tone, practice your tone. And it's fascinating, you know, to think about um, one of the first questions I asked the students on the first day of, of our, um, of our classes that revolve around like, writing music for your sound is what is your sound what do you sound like and if you think about that question you think about how you feel when I ask you that question you think oh I don't know you know (laughs) but you know but then if you really have words and terms to describe it you know every week write down like well what do I sound like what do I want to sound more like that and then how would that affect your practicing yeah well, that's, that's going to be a perfect lead-in to Friday's episode, uh, which people will have to tune in and, and hear us talk about, which is going to be more about developing your own personal sound. So thank you, Kim, for hanging with us again, and uh, we'll be back later this week with more from Kim Perlack. Mm-hmm.